Bit by bit, convenience has become a way of life. Need hamburger buns? Run out and buy them. Need salad dressing? Pick up a bottle on the way home. It is a sign of great progress that such conveniences exist. But on some level, is the ease worth the bodily toll? I don't think it is. Today's episode is a primer about how to make your own dressings. You get to control what goes in them, and that controls what goes in you. If you can't pronounce it, don't eat it. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, Episode 90. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Boogie on over to my podcasts page, culinarylibertarian.com slash podcasts to find all the previous shows, show notes pages. While you are visiting the show notes page, follow the Culinary Libertarian on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Also, click the Facebook icon and join the Eating Liberty Facebook group. Click the support link and find all the podcatchers which carry the Culinary Libertarian podcast as well as some patronage ways to support the show. You can become a patron at Patreon or a simple donation with PayPal is much appreciated. You can also support the podcast and get something for yourself when you join the Tom Woods Liberty Classroom or the McClanahan Academy. Both memberships offer on-the-go content for history, and McClanahan Academy courses are focused on American history, and the Liberty Classroom content features history as well as economics and sci-fi and dystopia as well as over 20 more courses. Both programs are easy to use with audio and video available, and you can listen while tending the garden or prepping lunch. Also, support the show with a purchase of a coffee mug from my Cranky Without Coffee Mug store. The last way to support the show is to share the episodes on social media and leave a rating and a review on your favorite podcatcher. From the pictures I see shared on Facebook from my friends, garden time is here, and that means salad time is here. My lettuces, a test really, are doing pretty well. Everything else is puny and growing very slowly. Between those lovely tomatoes and lettuces and radishes, which I'm not growing, A worthy dressing is required. Worthy here means mixed by you. Ingredients from the store is fine, but those already packaged jars of dressings are best left on the shelf. The principal reason to avoid those products are for your health and your wallet. You almost certainly have all the ingredients you need at home. What else is in that bottle 
you don't have and would never buy on purpose if you could. The list of items you can't pick or pronounce is impressive, but don't eat that stuff. That's the snob speaking. The practical guy says, avoid it as much as possible because it's money. Salad dressings fall to the pantry cook or, by fancy title, the garde-manger. That is a French restaurant term which includes more than it excludes. The garde-manger does all the cold and savory. From salads to pâtés and croûtes, the garde-manger has some serious cooking and culinary skills. Salad dressings have classifications and at each level, it is divided into more distinctions. If you remember that scene in The Godfather where the picture of Michael Corleone and below it the Capo regime and then the soldiers, well, dressings are not quite that complicated, but there are distinctions to be made. Our two main categories are vinaigrettes and not vinaigrettes. Properly speaking, in, in this case, properly refers to the French vinaigrette. It is oil, vinegar, salt, and pepper. Already we have an issue. Herbs or no herbs. A proper vinaigrette is intended to be broken, that is, not emulsified. You're going to see a layer of vinegar at the bottom and the oil on top. To the purists, the quality of the vinaigrette is obtained by superior oil and vinegar. The basic ratio for a vinaigrette is three parts oil to one part vinegar. Let's say our measuring device is a quarter of a cup measure. One of those of vinegar and three of those of oil is our basic ratio. Salt and pepper whisk vigorously before dressing the salad and voila! The salad is done. But Danny boy, I don't like this vinaigrette. It's too tart. That can happen, and it often happens with inferior vinegars. And no matter what you use, never, ever use distilled white vinegar for vinaigrette. In fact, except for cleaning the automatic coffee maker or dyeing Easter eggs, avoid this product. A good vinegar will be more expensive, but it's going to last you a long time. And those authentic balsamic vinegars aren't, at least not at the grocery store price. Those grocery store shelf balsamic vinegars, some are better than others, with better meaning less acidity, but they are not the real deal. Real deal is an indulgence. If you are at a store offering tastes, get one. The taste. I do recommend you know what a proper balsamic vinegar tastes like. If you find one that's been aged 20 years or so, and they're willing to share a taste, take it. Those well-aged balsamic vinegars are not used for dressings. They are a standalone condiment. All right. So the problem is, the vinaigrette is too tart. Add more oil. Oil matters. If you are new to the show, I have no preference for the so-called vegetable oils of canola or soy or corn or safflower. I use peanut oil in my fryer. I use bacon fat and rendered beef fat 
and chicken fat for cooking. I also use coconut oil and extra virgin olive oil. For more about the oils question, listen to episode 14. It's a little long, which I'll link to on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 90. For cooking, all those fats are great. Not one of them is worth a hoot for a salad dressing, with the exception, perhaps, of the extra virgin olive oil. So, what is a cook to do? Variety of oils, not on the mainstream oil shelves, are pretty impressive and numerous. Avocado oil and nut oils and pumpkin seed oil are great places to start for superior flavor, and as it happens, for better health. Such oils require more love and care than those pale oils in clear, light-penetrating bottles of already oxidized poisons. Cool and dark cupboards are good places for these more expensive, better oils. The fridge is not out of the question in the summertime. From that basic vinaigrette, flavor and texture can be added in the form of shallots, or herbs, or an emulsifier. Shallots, if you are not familiar with them, look like oddly shaped small red onions. In big bites, they bite back. But thin slices or a brunoise, they offer a good onion flavor and a bit of a sweet with the tart. Their small size also makes a very nice brunoise for dressing. Red onions or white onions or scallions are fine if you can't find shallots. For vinaigrettes, I prefer fresh herbs. Now, in the summer, most nurseries have plants ready to go for your herb garden. Pretty much any herb is fine in a vinaigrette depending on the compatibility or contrast you seek. Rosemary is a good flavor, but chop it up nice and fine. If you're adding any flavor garnish, herbs or shallots, to your vinaigrette, let it stand in the cooler for about 20 minutes for some flavor growth and flavor, they call it marrying, so everything sort of blending together, becoming a nice big one flavor. Whisk it well or shake it like crazy in that good seasoned shaker. Just don't buy their packets. That last item, an emulsifier, that's a fun one. An emulsion is the mixing of two ingredients which normally would not mix, so oil and water, or in this case, oil and vinegar. The best emulsifier for vinaigrettes is mustard. Either prepared, you know, French is yellow, not the first best choice for vinaigrettes. Dijon whole grain are very nice additions for the flavor and for the function of holding the vinegar together. Another excellent emulsifier, but not my first preferred choice, is an egg yolk. Both mustard and yolk emulsification has some chemistry behind them. And it's not really the point of today's show, but it's kind of fun to know about how all that happens. Vinaigrettes with fresh herbs should be refrigerated. Even in that acidic environment, the fresh herbs will go bad and that will ruin your vinaigrette. I tend to store the classic version also in the cooler. The last kind of vinaigrette is the cooked vinaigrette. 
This is mainly seen in low or no-fat vinaigrettes, which create a naming problem. Cooked vinaigrettes were popular among low-fat dieters and are made by heating a stock or a flavorful juice and thickening it with an arrowroot slurry. That thickened flavorful juice or stock is then the base to which you would add uh, vinegar, possibly some oil, maybe no oil, lots of herb garnish to get lots of flavor in there. The basic procedure for making a vinaigrette is the vinegar is in the bowl, and the oil is drizzled in as you whisk the vinegar at a brisk pace. Now, there is a mise en place issue and a mess issue to consider. I prefer a piece of cupboard shelf liner, that little rubberized pucky stuff, to place on the counter, and on it I place my bowl. That serves mostly to hold my bowl in place while I'm whisking. The mess part can be if you whisk too briskly, then your vinaigrette's coming out of the bowl and decorating you and the floor and the counter. That's no good. So, sort of party line of mixing vinaigrettes is to drizzle the oil into the vinegar slowly so that it all emulsifies, except if there's no mustard or egg yolk in there, it's not going to stay. So, aside from <laughs> some tradition of that's how we've always done it, there's really no reason, especially if you're making a quarter of a cup of vinegar and three quarters of a cup of oil, there's no reason not to put that all into the bowl, whisk vigorously enough to mix it, not enough to wear it, and then season it and put it in the in the mason jar with a lid and the ring and the thing. Shake it up a lot. Part of the beauty of a vinaigrette is that it isn't emulsified. Part of what the flavor combination brings is not every bite of the lettuce is going to be the same bite. Some will have more vinegar, some will have more oil. And so you get this different bite every time. That's part of the whole idea behind a broken vinaigrette. Uh, as for outliers, now we've got a couple of those. Uh, one of them, probably the most popular one, is the Caesar vinaigrette. It is emulsified with an egg yolk, and it is quite zippy from the garlic and the anchovy. The variations of preparation are many, and most of them are pretty good. If it is not made table-side, which is really a treat, then basically what you're getting is mayonnaise, which is an emulsified dressing. Takes the romance right out of it, doesn't it? Another outlier is the once very popular hot bacon dressing for spinach salads. Restaurants figured out how to make it ahead of time in large quantities, then heat a portion as needed for service. Ideally, it is made to order, and then it is superior, even though I am no fan of undercooked or raw spinach. Aside from the obvious salad dressing, vinaigrettes also serve well as marinades. Marinades do impart flavor, which is good, but the acid breaks down the protein of the meat, and that can cause a dry, finished product. So... Don't marinate too long. How long is too long? I really don't have an answer to that. The chicken breast, which is thin, 
should marinate, I think, not more than an hour. And and so the the as the acid is so the big fancy word is denaturing. The acids, so if you've ever had ceviche, that's the same idea. The acid is changing the nature of the protein. It's not technically cooking by the application of heat, but what we say happens when we apply heat to a protein, we're changing its chemical composition. Lots of things are happening with the application of heat to the protein. Lots of things are happening to the protein with the application of acid. So it's being denatured. It can't go back to what it was before. As it's being denatured, what's coming out of that is hydrogen and water. What's coming out of that is water. And you can't put it back. So over-marinated, you may taste all the flavors of the marinade, and you may say, golly, you know, this is really flavorful, but it tastes like sole of shoe. That's over-marinated. So I think an hour, hour and a half, you find what's good for you. Where does that line live? It's everybody's your preference. Uh, a thicker steak, and steak is more dense, it's got fat to work with, chicken has no intramuscular fat, that maybe can go for two or three hours. I've read recipes that say do it overnight. At some point, the law of diminishing returns applies. I don't know where that line lives, but that's up to you. And if you do it and 18 hours is too much, well, next time do less. Okay, the other kind of dressings, the not vinaigrette, is the creamy dressing. We have a few ingredients available to us and a much richer flavor profile to work with. We'll get to that right after this word from my affiliate. Folks, California Wine Club fixes the problem of wondering what wine is worth your money. Are you tired of staring at the grocery store shelves? Is the mystery not worth the risk? Maybe the same old, same old isn't cutting it anymore. California Wine Club members can shop wine selections online from small vineyards, which means you get selections not in the grocery store. Wine Club members can also ask wine questions of a wine consultant who will work with you to learn your preferences and flavor profiles. Membership also includes the California Wine Club guide called Uncorked, which offers tasting notes of the wines, pairing tips, and essays about some of the vineyards and winemaking. Membership starts with the Premium Series, and you can mix and match red or white wines and choose the frequency of delivery. California Wine Club subscriptions are also excellent gifts, and with the Wine Club Love It! Guarantee you can't go wrong. If you prefer, you can order from California Wine Club those wines you want and have no monthly subscription. The name is California Wine Club, and they do, of course, offer wines from California as well as other Pacific Northwest vineyards. But they also have a wide range of domestic vineyard selections as well as international selections. Click the banner on the show notes page or navigate to culinarylibertarian.com slash cawinemain to learn about the Love It Guarantee and to join 
the premier internet wine club. CulinaryLibertarian.com slash CAYMain to make informed choices about the wines you want to drink. CulinaryLibertarian.com slash CAYMain or click the banner on the show notes page. Now let's get back to the show. The world of creamy dressings is huge. From the not-so-great French dressing to the very lovely blue cheese or homemade ranch or poppy seed, there are many ways to make dressings with lots of pop. Some of the creamy dressings have no cream, but still have that thick consistency such as a honey mustard. The obvious difference is the appearance of the fat and the ratios of fat to acid. Buttermilk and mayonnaise and sour cream are the fat component, and each creamy dressing will have a small amount of vinegar. Acid, of course, is a contrast to the rich, but also acids, vinegars, lemon juice act as flavor enhancers. Salt does that too, but at some point, more salt is just salty. Vinegars and herbs add flavor without adding sodium, which is not a bad thing, but as I said, too much is the wrong direction for flavor. Dry spices can also up the flavor profile and when mixed with acids, make really impactful flavor contributions. The major players for most of our creamy dressings are mayonnaise, sour cream, buttermilk, and possibly yogurt. And then sometimes combinations of those things together, uh, such as the buttermilk dressing recipe on the blog. I'll link to that on the show notes page. For most of our creamy dressings, vinegar is the acid. The chief advantage of vinegar over lemon juice is a variety of flavors, but also lemon juice, fresh lemon juice, can go bad in the dressing. Vinegars will not, since the commercial ones are pasteurized. One popular exception to the pasteurized vinegar is Bragg's apple cider vinegar. It's raw, unfiltered, and unpasteurized, and is said to be healthy or health-supporting. I don't know anything about that. Maybe one of you knows, and you can send me an email or a link about that. Vinegars are sharp, that is, high in acid, which means low on the pH scale. Uh, the, for the Bragg's, the apple flavor is good, and it's a good compatible flavor with the other things, but I would advise, <laughs> if you're so inclined, and I'm not telling you to do this, take a very, very small, like half, so the medicine cups that come on the on medicines now, the smallest measure probably is five mils, that's a teaspoon. Try two mils, I'm not kidding. That stuff is, well, it's acidic, but it serves a purpose. Another change in creamy dressings is the herbs. I use dried herbs. I use dried onions too. This serves two functions. The first is the dried onion flakes and dried herbs will not spoil. Fresh onions will. 
Now, this is not to say that the that the dressing will not ever go bad. Of course, it will go bad, but you get much longer shelf life on a creamy dressing made with dry herbs and onions than with fresh. The second reason is water. Raw onions will leach out the water and dilute the dressing. Dry onion flakes will absorb the available water, which will keep the dressing nice and thick. Now, it doesn't look like it, but mayonnaise and sour cream do have available water. Buttermilk obviously does. When you go to use a homemade creamy dressing, gravity works against you. It will need to be shaken or stirred. Did you just think about James Bond? To remix the water from the bottom with the fat on top. Creamy dressings also serve a sauce function as a spread on sandwiches or dips for crudities. One such alternative use is the Russian dressing on a Reuben. Yes, I said Russian. That interloper Thousand Island has no business, in my view, on a proper Reuben sandwich. I like blue cheese dressing and have added a twist to ours. I add toasted chopped walnuts. The blue cheese and walnut combination is very good to start with. Add that to the dressing, and it just really ups the flavor profile. And speaking of flavor and spring, a forced segue, a nice orange mayonnaise on asparagus is quite spectacular. If you're up for the work, sauce maltese, which is orange hollandaise, is great on hot asparagus, but cooked cold asparagus salad with blanched slivered almonds for crunch and for flavor, and that orange mayonnaise is a great picnic treat. Think about the flavor profiles you like and find a way to add that to your dressings. The walnut thing, aside from a good combination, works because walnuts are bitter. They create a balance between the acid in the dressing, which is acidic, so we have a pH fight, which is working out to our advantage, and they also complement the richness of the cheese because that bitter and rich works to negate each other. Another example of this crossover is the remoulade sauce. As procedure goes, it is the same. Base, ingredients, touch of vinegar. I suppose the remoulade would make a fine dressing for a crab or a fish salad, but plainly its intended use is elsewise. Folks, let me take a minute out to let my friend Nikki P tell you about his friends and their podcast. Hey, it means the world to Liz and I that you spend the time listening to us. And I'd hate to lose you to another podcast. But I simply have to tell you about my buddy Sean's podcast, The Porcupine Perspective. If you like your liberty raw and unfiltered with just a hint of deep melancholic brooding, then The Porcupine Perspective is the podcast for you. They ponder big themes and real questions. This is hands down one of my favorite podcasts. So go subscribe to The Porcupine Perspective so it can be your second favorite. One more example of a sauce more than a dressing is onion dip. Certainly yummy on sandwiches, but intended for chips. Particularly yummy inside of a griddled cheese sandwich. <laughs> That's good stuff. Those examples are really to illustrate what is a fuzzy line between items. Onion dip buttermilk ranch vary mostly only to the degree they coat or don't coat lettuce. 
Surely we could add buttermilk to onion dip and make an onion dressing. I mentioned that vinegar is a flavor enhancer. Acid really is the flavor enhancer. There are a few more options available to us for tweaking flavors without adding just salt. Tabasco is one such ingredient. It has some sodium, but it also has flavor. Worcestershire shire, shire, shire sauce is probably the Garmagee's secret flavor weapon, after, of course, sound procedures. Soy sauce, tamari sauce, fish sauce for most specialized dressings all enhance flavor without directly adding sodium. Yes, of course, there's sodium there, but there's more. When, when we taste things, there, there's a, several things going on. So the very first flavor you get is the things like, oh, this is, you know, it's either good or bad. And then you decide, eat or spit. Then what has the cook done to entice your taste buds? If the cook has done a decent job, that first flavor will be followed by one or two more. Because if, if the cook has done a superior job, the first flavor is followed by a couple more, then there's a few more after that. And that's the thing is that you go, wow. <laughs> and so 20 years later, you're telling somebody about some dish you had. That is that's what we hope to get doesn't always work. How you get at least more flavor is by adding more flavor in the way of uh, Tabasco. So these are all back notes. Uh, well, it can be a front note too. Tabasco, Worcestershire, soy, tamari, fish sauce, um, sesame seed oil in an Asian dressing, would, would, and just a little teeny bit because the stuff goes a long way. Those are ways to complement the thing that you're making, possibly contrast the thing that you're making, depending on what your intent is. But this is this is how cooks get there. This is this is these are ways to make your food sing. And the only way to do that is practice it. Speaking of food singing, I was looking through a nineteen seventy two salads and salad dressings booklet I have published by the ShopRite grocery chain. One ingredient in 1972 used very liberally is MSG, monosodium glutamate. Much reviled these days, MSG was pretty common as a powder. Glutamate is a non-essential amino acid naturally occurring in some of the foods we eat. MSG is an ingredient, a purified form of the sodium salt of glutamate. Now, more than that is more than we need, even for this episode. I introduced this mostly to pitch that it used to happen, but really that I want to have an MSG episode. It is not for this show to delve too deeply into what happened and how it happened, but MSG has earned a bad rap. It is the compound which leads to or creates that umami sensation now often called that sixth taste. All right, I think that's a good start as a primer for dressings. Remember that both vinaigrettes and creamy dressings can be pressed into service as marinades or dips or spreads. Recall that magnificent beast of a sandwich, the bufaletta. 
and you'll remember vinaigrettes too can be critical elements for sandwiches. All right, folks, that's going to do it. I'll have the links posted on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 90. I'll also add a link to the Culinary Institute of America Gardemage book. It gives a good introduction to all of the key parts of Gardemage, not just dressings. But it does explain a bit about how emulsions work, and if you're keen to test yourself, it is an excellent way to push and build your skills and yourself. Now, this is for the ladies. The Healthy Living Bundle is back by popular demand for a flash sale. How popular is it? 88,000 plus women can't be wrong. The Healthy Living Bundle includes 13 categories featuring 47 ebooks, 33 e-courses, audios and workshops, 11 printable packs, and workbooks. That's over 90 products worth over $3,200, but that's not the price you pay. $37 is the price for the full bundle. This is a flash sale for two days only, June 10th and 11th, 2020. 2020 has been a mess. The folks at Ultimate Bundles are bringing back some bit of 2019 for a short bit of relief. The bundle topics include allergy-friendly, brain wellness and improving mental health, which is very important now, sleep, nutrition, recipes, and more. Click the banner on the show notes page, which will take you to an opt-in page. On that page, enter the information, and when the bundle opens, you'll get an email from Ultimate Bundles. It's that easy, but there is a short clock, so register right away. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. Join the Eating with the Facebook group. Have a good week. I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.